I'm Kasada Bowman. Today, my guest is Chef Terrell McIntosh, or as many call him, Chef T. He joins us from London, where currently he's the chef and owner of Caribbean restaurant Sugarcane. Chef T has worked in all types of places over the years, from cafes to Michelin star restaurants, but his dream was to own a restaurant. His journey to that dream started with a private catering business out of his home, and today we'll hear about his path to sugarcane, all the ups and downs that led to this present moment. Today we'll be discussing taking a chance, what it's like to bootstrap a restaurant, first impressions, what it takes to get customers into that new restaurant, creating culinary opportunities for children of all backgrounds, and connections, how being open and honest, even in your most vulnerable moment, can lead to chance encounters. So I'll start by asking, as we always do, Chef T, have you eaten yet? Now, this could be a meal from today, or it could be the last meal that you have a really great memory about. It could be one from 10 years ago or any time, one that truly resonated with you. Gosh, that's uh, quite an emotional uh, opening there. Thank you. Um, I think if I talk about a meal that's really important to me, it sounds really silly and it's really simple, but it's one that has great nostalgia for me, actually. So we're going to go way back. And um, it was a simple tuna and pasta, but it was uh, me cooking with my mum. And it's actually the last memory of me cooking with her that I have because she passed away when I was a child. Um, but the reason why it's so important for me is because it's simple. There's no frills or fuss or anything like that. It's just a bit of pasta, uh, which we did on the stove, tuna from the tin and some cheese and some salt and pepper, with a bit of pepper sauce, you know, you know how we black people like to do it. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I think that just came up when you said that, not the last thing I actually ate, was because it, it's just simplicity, you know, and, and it's also a connection when you're doing it you know, someone that you care about. And that's kind of what food is for me, you know. It's about having those connections, having those, no no, no Michelin stars, all the bells and whistles. It's just good, solid food and, you know, having an, an emotional experience with it. Does that make sense or does it sound really cheesy? And cheesy, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about simplicity. And, and that's the thing. Most of the time when I ask that question, eight out of 10 times, it goes back to the simplicity because the simple meals are what ground us and connect us, as you say. And there's no, there's nothing to take away from that. It, life is a simplistic moment. When you look at the meaning of life, you know, like let's put this in a big, you know, question. It's about your everyday life and what you're doing and the the little things. So of course that makes total sense. And I think as well as for me, when it comes to food, it's a moment or it's a, it's a period of time where you can shut off from whatever's going on in the world and particularly just connect with a person or a group of people. And I think, you know, for me in that moment, you know, I was listening to my mom following her instructions, but that was us connecting. And when I translate that into my restaurant, I get complimented on this so many times. It's all about just being comfortable here. And everyone's like, when they're here, they feel happy. They can engage with another person. And, you know, that's something that I really try to keep at the heart of what we do, because I'm not you know, I, I have the, the reputation of being a chef, but if you put me in a big Michelin star restaurant, I would struggle. I don't know how to make a bechamel sauce, all these fancy things. It's just a good few solid 
simple recipes, you know, and it's about the atmosphere. And again, creating that connection, if that makes sense. So I think it's very interesting that that memory just come through because I think it stands for a lot of what my business represents. I love that that memory did come through. So that what a great question. And I'm glad that it could bring that very special dynamic memory for you. Thank so you. very grateful. Uh, well, you know, since you've gone so far back in time, I wanted to start off going back in time so that listeners can follow your path to sugarcane. So at the point that I'm going to start, you're running a catering business out of your home. You're developing relationships with suppliers. And then you see a boarded up shop. You know almost immediately that this is your chance to open your own restaurant. Take me back to the moment you knew this space was meant for you and describe that moment for us. Gosh, I didn't think I'd be this emotional. It's really hitting home what I've done. I'm a great believer of the universe. And I have to start off by saying that everything happens when it's supposed to. And, you know, there is such a backstory of sugarcane because I I worked in restaurants. I picked up loads of different skills. Uh, I was in Dubai teaching. And then um, just before the pandemic, so this was March last year, I became really unwell and had to go to hospital in Dubai, uh, caught an infection from a surgery I had over there and got sent back to England. And I got sent back a week before the pandemic began. So all the flights were shut down. And if I hadn't have come back at that moment, I would be in Dubai right now. And whilst I was over here, wasn't really sure what I was doing. So I started going for walks in the morning and I came across this shop. So again, I, I'm, I'm such a firm believer. If I never got sick, if I never got sent to this country, if I, I didn't come here, I wouldn't have seen this, you know, the shop that is now my business. When I saw this shop, it was just abandoned. Nobody had wanted it. And it had a bigger, you know, sign on it saying for let. I had no money. I had no investors. I had all my recipes just flung down in a folder from about eight years ago. But I just called the landlord and just said to him, let me do a viewing. And he wanted to go through a, a typical formal route, which is you have a solicitor, you sign a lease and so on and so forth. I didn't have any of that. You know, I had a couple of thousand pounds to my name. Um, and I just said to him, look, I can't go through these formal processes. But what I can do is an exchange, you know, being creative here. Um, I just said, take a chance in me. I'm a good person. If I give you part of my business in exchange for, well, the, the typical, you know, couple of grams or 10 grand that you need in the beginning, let's see how we start from that, you know. And then obviously once I build up a track record, then maybe we can get into the formal negotiations. Because right now the shop's sitting there. It's costing you money. I can get in there straight away and start generating some cash. And within 24 hours, I was in the shop. I had the keys. But my point behind that is I didn't do things traditionally. I didn't go down the formal route. I took a chance. And it sounds like one of those kind of, you know, movie moments that I made up, but it isn't. If you think creatively, if you go outside the box, if you try to connect with that person and just be completely honest with them, then, you know, anything can happen. I love that story. (laughs) So you get into the space and construction begins and not by a team that you hired, you, Chef T, are knocking down walls, working on plumbing. This is your dream that you are literally building. Describe what a typical day was like back when sugarcane was under construction. Gosh. So I got the keys. I think it was on the 16th of July. And I opened on the 5th of August. So we're talking about a two-week turnaround. I, I think I really overlabor this point, but I really want everybody to understand that this place was built 
by me, with the exception of the electricity and the plumbing. You know, I built the banister, I knocked through the walls, I put up the splashbacks, I did the tiling, I did the flooring, I put up a ceiling, you know, and the insulation. Um, anything that I didn't know how to do, I went onto YouTube and looked how to do. And I had to use all my creativity. So, for example, uh, I have a bar area. I didn't have any money for shelving, so I used spare floorboards to make the shelves. I built a stud wall. And again, I didn't have a lot of money for plasterboard and stuff, so I just got MDF um, MDF boards, chipboards, varnished them. I mean, the health and safety sign, the fire exit sign, that I just printed off and varnished it with PVA, and it shines, and, you know, it's waterproof. So I had to use all my creativity to make my place, you know, functional but compliant. But I got there, and it is. It's been inspected by, you know, health and safety. We've got a five-star rating. The, the fire brigade have come here all up to code. So the point is, is that, I had no money. I literally had £3,000 and I had to make it work, you know, and it was it was hard graft. I think I was doing 20, 22 hour days. You know, I had a sleeping bag in the shop. I was covered in paint and dust, but, you know, I made it happen. And I think this this isn't the vision at all that I had, you know, and I remember when I was about uh, 18, 19, when I started formulating this idea of wanting a restaurant. I used to, you know, like when you're a kid and you get like the brochures of like toys and stuff and you cut out the stuff that you want. I was doing that with the restaurant books. And I was like, I want these seats, I want these tables and chairs and I want, you know, this plating. And this this was just a makeshift of whatever I could find. You know, it wasn't about what I wanted. It was about what I could afford. So this is not the vision in my head. But in the same time, it's so much more organic and, it, and, it, and it's, I don't know, it's more authentic, you know, authentic. You know, the dining table here, which is my chef's table, that's a dining table from my house. And if you look, there's a crack I'm pointing to it now where I threw a, a glass at my ex. But you can still see that, you know, it's literally the dining table from my house. And the picture frames are the frames where I used to have my degrees in at home. I just had to use all my creativity. And, and that, that's why I say this restaurant isn't just, you know, something that somebody threw, you know, a couple of grand at, you know, it, it's very much, it's got, you know, things from my home here. It's been built by me. It, it literally oozes me from start to finish. And I think that's what kind of gives my restaurant my charm. Everyone says when they come here, it feels like they're in my house. And I think having that personal touch is something that, you know, I couldn't have bought. It's something that just makes this place a little bit more special. So yes, it, it's a lot of hard graft, a lot of creativity. Be prepared to be covered in paint and dust, but at the same time, depend on nobody else. You know, there were times when builders let me down and people let me down, but I got up and, you know, I made sure that by the 5th of August we opened. You know, another story, I sorry, I don't mean to ramble, but I remember I paid about £1,000 to get my signs made outside and they kept on being delayed, kept on being delayed. The PDF vector image wasn't working and I tried Photoshop, it wasn't working. So I just said, all right, I need these signs up by tomorrow. So I got on my hands and knees and I painted them myself. And, and again, that's another a beautiful part of my restaurant. I've got hand-painted signs. And I think one of the, I think there's only three places that I know that have that. But it adds so much more charm to what, you know, my restaurant and what my business is. You know, but not giving up, giving it that personal ch- touch and being prepared to do what it takes. You know, if you want it, don't let no be a, a, a barrier, let it be a detour, but don't let it be a barrier. If, the, if it's not going to work, what else can you do if that makes sense? That makes total sense. And most importantly, 
you had to translate your vision to paper and create a menu. So after being physically exhausted, working 20-hour days from the build-out, then you have to spark the creative side of your mind. Chef T, at this point, are you running off pure adrenaline? Tell us about the steps you took to create your menu. I used to do this from home. So I kind of had a model of a menu inside of my head. And again, when when I spoke earlier about the universe, everything happens for a reason. I didn't really go into this blind. I had a trial run a couple of years before to see what worked, to see what didn't work. And again, if that didn't happen, if I didn't do that, I would have been in a much, I would have been in a deficit trying to do this from scratch. So I had a little bit of experience, if that makes sense. When I created the menu is I thought, what are the best Caribbean dishes that are just good comfort food, you know? But I think at the same time, I thought, how can I make this restaurant worthy? And I think that's where my restaurant tries to fill the gap because We've either got, you know, fine dining Caribbean restaurants, which dilute the authenticity, or we've got just a lot of street food, you know, that there's nothing really in the middle. And we've seen it done with every other cuisine, but why not Caribbean cuisine? And for me, it was just about creating good home cooked food, but just putting it on the plate, really. You know, and that's why I say we take away all the frills, we take away all the fancy garnishes, these crumbs, these foams, these things that, you just don't do at home. And, and that's why I said it's weird that that memory came back to me because it's all about just good home cooked food and putting it on the plate. And I think that that for me was really one of the main things. And, and the rest, it, it wasn't fully formed. It, it's evolved over time. I had a vision where a year and four months down the line, that menu's still slowly evolving, still changing. You know, I'm learning what the best sellers are. And I'm tweak- even now, I'm still tweaking with my recipes and playing with them. But... I think, you know, you have to just put it up to trial and error. You know, you have something, you go with it. If it doesn't work, be prepared to change. And I think that's something that I'm learning even now the hard way. Don't be stuck with an idea that's not working. If you see things aren't selling or if you see your customers aren't engaging and you've got to go with the flow, you know. Um, But, yeah, it's. I think I've always had a, a vision of what my menu wanted to be. And, and also from an entrepreneurial side, which I hate, I hate using that term, um, we have a brand over here called Nando's. I'm not sure if you know it in America, but it, it's almost <laughs> like a Popeye's or something. You know, it's just very casual, uh, casual dining. And when I, when I designed my menu, I, I based off of that something that so basically I made it the Caribbean version. So it's my, my menu is something that people can relate to. It's not going to be unknown to them so they might not know what jerk chicken is but they'll know what a chicken with two sides is if that makes sense or they might not know what you know uh we do a jerk chicken burger or whatever but they know a burger with one side and and just giving them that familiarity and that's kind of what i designed it around so you are stepping into the unknown but it's not the complete unknown you know it's giving people that comfortability that 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 willingness to step into this restaurant so if they don't know every dish there's still something that they're familiar with Does that make sense? I love that because it does make sense because sometimes in this industry, the approachability, like something being approachable is looked down upon like, no, 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 no. But it's okay to have (laughs) something that people can identify. Actually, it makes complete sense. And you can still put your spin and creativity around that. And I think also as well, in terms of, again, trying to be uh business minded which i'm I, i'm so totally not i'm a creative person but even when i started to look at the price points of things i said 
what are people willing to spend? You know, that was a good start for me because actually my menu was a lot cheaper than what it was now. And if it were any cheaper, I would have run at a loss. And I said, actually, you know, people are prepared to spend, what, 20, 30 pounds on a meal? What are the dishes that I can serve for that price, if that's if that makes sense? So, you know, I have an old version of this menu where my dishes, for example, we have a soca platter. It had really expensive uh, dishes on there. So I cheapened them. I, I had to find new ways to reinvent it to make it work for the business. So it's not about trying to reinvent the wheel. It's just about taking the wheel and making it fit for your space, if that makes sense. And for anybody who ever wants to get into this, work backwards. You know, it's all good knowing your costings, but look at what other people are doing. You know, don't, it's not about trying to work hard. It's about working smart, if that makes sense. And let's stay on the expensive side of restaurants <laughs> because in the past, in the past you've worked in fine dining restaurants. I read an article where you were quoted saying it was so stressful. I really just wanted something relaxed. You were referring to how you wanted your restaurant to be more relaxed. Yeah. And I'd love for you to expand on that thought while also taking us back to your days working in Michelin star <clears throat> restaurants so we can understand the stress that you dealt with and also how that experience helped shape you and your vision for sugarcane. Oh gosh, the vision, the vision. Nothing ever goes to plan, guys. Let me say that now. Um, I think in regards to the stresses of working in a restaurant, I think you never really see it from a customer's point of view. It's, it's more so from the staffing and from back of house. Um, you know, it's quite intense in the kitchen. And I think when I worked in restaurants, you the, the, what I learned from Michelin-style restaurants are just certain benchmarks, you know, getting water on the table, greeting the customers. And, and those are things that I've always wanted to carry into my restaurant, you know. And I think that's what also sets us apart for a Caribbean establishment is that we're very good at our service. That's one thing that we've been commended on. However, what I wanted to create here is just a very relaxed environment. And it's really hard for me to see it, you know, as the owner, because I've, I look at all the negatives and I look at the cracks in the place and when the food's not coming out on time. But on rare occasion, I have seen it from a customer's point of view. And we're very we have a very homely feel here. And I think this is tying in back into what I said about those memories and, and those experiences and, and, and even building the place with, with equipment from my house is that it gives it a very chilled out vibe. You know, we've got cushions here where people just kind of lounge out and so on and so forth. I don't want you to feel like you have to dress up to come to this restaurant. I don't want you to feel like you have to spend the chunk of money here. The whole point is it should be accessible for everybody. And I think that's something that not a lot of restaurants do because you've even got those ones that are very, not upper class, but you know you get all dressed up in the hills and yeah, we're definitely going out. And, and it's almost, it has an expectation. I think, why should you have to have an expectation? Well, if you've got £10 in your pocket or if you've got £100 in your pocket, you should still be able to come here. And I think that's the beauty of this menu. It's about taking all that experience, but utilising it to make sure that you're accessible to everybody. And again, I think with Caribbean restaurants as well, there's so much to prove because we're such a niche, if that makes sense. You don't want to limit yourself. And I think, you know, particularly over here, we've only got 10 restaurants in London that are Caribbean, you know, out of the thousands that we have. So we really do have something to prove. And particularly as being probably the, one of the country's youngest restaurant owners as well, I've, I've, I've got to make sure I get this right. So I'd love to also say that it was really well thought out. But at the same time as well, it was just a case of doing what I think feels right. 
doing what you think feels right is what so many people don't do. It's about having that self-awareness. It's about having that that vision, but also it's beyond that. You know, it really is combined with that self-awareness and listening to your intuition and having gone through experiences where you can have that yeah. to go back to. I think I got a bit tongue-tied trying to explain it because actually it's not really something that I can formulate. And I think even in regards to just opening this restaurant, I just took a chance and I just said, I'm going to make it work. And, and lo and behold, it, it did. Um, we'll come on to it, but I'd opened the second restaurant and it didn't work out, but I believe there's a reason for it. I think not everything you can put into words and not everything you can articulate, having so much of a hands-on role in making my restaurant, in designing it, not just having a chunk of contractors or a chunk of plumbers or a whole bunch of chefs. The fact that this thing literally is a manifestation of me, I think is what contributes to that, if that makes sense. And I have so many personal experiences, you know, well, I can speak about being marginalized, being black, being gay, you know, being black and gay, you know, you, you, you realize how easy it is to be shunned from different parts of society. And even with the pandemic, look how everybody was isolated. And, and I think that really kind of manifested itself through my restaurant in a sense of I wanted to be open so people don't feel like how I felt in my life. You know, anybody can come here if that makes sense. And I think that's perhaps why it has the atmosphere that it does. You know, and that's why I'm saying you have to be part of it. My restaurant is an extension of myself. So I think those two things are very much intertwined. And I think if you're going to do it, even you, look how you found me. You connected with me because not just because my business was a manifestation. It was my story. It was myself. But the two are intertwined. And perhaps whoever's listening, it will be the same thing. So I can't, I can't explain that. But I, I'm hoping that I, it would make sense to you or whoever's listening. It makes total sense to me. You can't explain it sometimes things of that magnitude, you have to live it and it's through life experience. But I think you're doing a great job explaining it as much as you can. Um, and, and I just encourage everyone to pick up on the energy that you're putting out and you're doing a great job explaining it, but it's something so beyond us. It, you really have to tap into the universe and everything. And I know that sounds woo woo, but you do, <laughs> because once you once you have these life experiences, you know, I know through my life experience, oh, I can't really explain it too much, but I lived it. And so we can just explain what we've gone through and that speaks volumes and people get that. So starting a restaurant pre-COVID, even in a good year, was a challenge. You're taking a chance. Starting a restaurant after March 2020 is beyond challenging. You're entering the unknown. Things can change at any given time. You're dealing with the government, customers' fears, your staff's fears. And Chef T, you have another level of unknown to deal with. You were quoted in an article saying Caribbean cuisine is unique. You either get it right or you get it wrong. It takes a lot for people to come in here as a new company when it's not burgers or pizza. And you touched on this a few minutes ago being one of only 10 Caribbean restaurants in London, I'd love for you to expand on that idea because I think some people might assume, and these are people perhaps Americans or in other parts of the world that are listening, well, you're in London, a major city in the world. Who doesn't love jerk chicken? 
So please explain the additional hurdles you face when you're not just serving burgers and pizza so we can break down those assumptions and really educate listeners. Gosh, where do I begin? Because I think that's so relevant to where I'm at now. And I think it's just a continual journey that, you know, I have to be prepared to go on. I think uh, contextually, let's talk about the pandemic. Um, That was a crippling blow for, you know, the world in general and particularly hospitality. And it's something we are still struggling with. And I think it's quite weird because my restaurant was in its own bubble. We sailed through the pandemic until pretty much about two months ago. And all the issues that other restaurants face, we're now really, really struggling with. So staffing issues, uh, you know, hospitality typically has loads of students that fill it. We have no students at university or not on campus. So trying to find students to fill those job roles, really hard. Um, I'm currently doing 20 something hour days and it has burnt me out. You know, I've ended up in hospital once or twice from burnout. So heed that warning about taking rest. You know, we spoke about adrenaline at the start and I was like, yes, I can do this. I'm Superman. I can do all these shifts. No, your body will tell you at some point you take a break. And I was very ignorant, you know, at the beginning. And I keep coming back to this where my business is trying to do something, but my body is trying to do something else. You know, so that's something that's really affecting us at this minute. Um, again, with the staffing issue, we've in our country, we've got a whole nonsense of immigration. So a lot of a lot of residents have left our country. So again, hospitality is facing more staffing shortages. So we're really struggling. You know, I spoke about what I wanted my restaurant to be, but what it is is something very different. And there are times when I beat myself up because I feel like a complete and utter failure. Not because my restaurant is failing. And I have, to, I have to be very clear on that. It isn't failing. It's profitable. I've got a bit of cash set aside. We have regular customers. I have a second shop. I did this on minimal money and I did it during the pandemic. I don't think that's a, fa- you know, that's a failure. But because it's not where I want it to be in my head, I'm sitting here feeling like, like rubbish, like I can't do this. And actually not bending, not going with the flow is actually causing me to self-destruct a little bit and actually devalue the great things that I have and I think if you go into this yes you can have a vision you can have a goal but you've got to be flexible enough to let go or to maneuver around it and I'm saying this I I struggle with this so badly but it's it's the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody out there you know if you don't want to do happy hour but happy hour works you've got to move and go with the flow you know or else you're going to be your own worst you know enemy Again, and these are all these things I speak about on my Instagram, you know, I share the ups and the downs, but these are things that nobody forewarned me about. You know, I think we should be more open about these things. Um, Like our cash flow, for example, a restaurant is a 24 hour business. No one forewarned me about that. You know, when we, we open from four until 10, but after that, I have to do the ordering and then that about what? four o'clock in the morning the deliveries come in and then at 10 o'clock the prep chefs come in and then we get about a two-hour window where we're quiet but we might do some cleaning and then we start all over again and we do the seven days a week it doesn't stop and because we don't stop we continually spend money but then we continually make money so it's very hard to see one week whether we're profitable or not and well all our bills are paid but I don't have any money and you know according to my QuickBooks account I should have this much but I actually don't in my bank account I'm like it, it it's just it's, yeah, it, it's very different from what I thought it would be. You're not going to run and at the end of a couple of months have this much money. 
You're going to have bills coming in 24-7. You're also going to have interpersonal issues with your staff and customers' expectations. It's just, yes, it, 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 it's, it's so all-consuming and it's so different to what I thought it was going to be. But again, going back to my original point is letting go of those expectations and also recognizing that your business will be a fully-fledged human being. It will have its own personality. It will challenge you. It will support you. It will anger you. It will take you to the depths of rock bottom, but it will also take you to the depths on, you know, the accolades of the sky. It will do everything to you and more. And I think you just have to be prepared to go with it. But I think perhaps one of the biggest lessons that I can advocate to anybody, particularly for this industry, is to have someone or something there to support you. And I think that's been my biggest mistake because when I worked in restaurants, I always saw them midway through their journey or after the beginning when they had settled down and worked out what worked for them. I also, I'd worked in a few that only had one owner, but in the beginning they had two or more. I took this on very ambitiously doing it by myself. And actually that's a very dangerous thing to do because when I've been ill, my business has had to close. There's been nobody there to bounce off. and when I've had my low moments, which I'm going through right now, I don't have, you know, a support network or someone to say, do you know, what, can you run it for a couple of days while I take some time off? Or, you know, when I want to cry, I have my low moments. I don't have them saying, do you know what, T, come on, let's go. You know, it's, it's all coming from me. And actually, when you're at a deficit and you don't have anything to recharge you, it, it's a bit of a, a vicious circle. So by all means, try to find someone and they may not have to run your business with you, but just have that support person or network in place, you know. And, and as I said, you see, with this business, it's all come from me. So it's been very hard to let other people in, particularly when they let you down. So maybe even if you can, be prepared to form that idea with somebody else. So it's not just you taking somebody on. It's a partnership. And I think that's that's a really key thing, which... I, I wouldn't say I wish I hadn't done because my own integrity and my own experience has got me here, but God, it would have made it a lot easier to pass that buck on. You know, I think that's my word of caution to anybody in this tale. It's, it's good to hear because there is so much, there's, there's so much to being a restaurant owner. And then on top of it, to circle back around, you have this other hurdle of educating your new customers about Caribbean food. So what has that been like with that journey of educating people? It's not pizza and burgers. It's not always approachable. What is that like? I think that um, that's probably been one of the best parts of this journey. And I think, as I said to you, the business side of it was to take something that works, but just make it our own. Um, the, at the end of the day, Caribbean cuisine is quite unique, but I think it's about, it's just, it, it's been about changing the narrative of what it is. So it's not just something that's greasy or over oily or something that is cheap. No, you know, we use expensive produce. We use everything's organic. Everything's biodegradable, uh, free range chicken. We, we cater for a lot for the vegans and stuff. And I think it's just giving it that stance that actually it is as good as other people's or other cuisines. And also, I think it's been about giving people a lot of history. You know, jerk chicken is not the Caribbean's national dish. It's an ackee and saltfish, for example. 
and getting people to understand that actually it's a dish that originated from slavery, from transatlantic trade, when salt used to be bought on the ships because it would and be salted for preservation and aki, which actually comes from Africa, so on. And, and that's how the dish kind of partly originated. And just giving people a history of it's not just about food, you know, it's, it's also, food has played such a big part in Caribbean culture and it's about giving people the knowledge and, and the background behind it. You know, jerk is traditionally something that there's so much debate about what jerk is, but actually the, the, the key thing is that it has a, the pimento seed. And the reason why we have we use pimento berries is actually when we you, you use a barbecue or so you use the pimento wood and so on and so forth, but not everybody has a jerk drum or so on and so forth. So the, the diluted version or, or the carbon copy is to use a pimento berry and that's what gives it its distinctive taste and that's what jerk is known for. So as long as you have that, you know, you can kind of get that authenticity throughout all of your cuisine and just educating people in the same way that they know that, you know, pastas from Italy and so on and so forth. And I think what I love is that all of my staff, particularly the front of house, get to have that interaction with the customers because they, they always ask us, what's curry goats? You know, or, or, or what spices do you use? And, and, and having that dialogue. And I think you don't really get that normally in most restaurants. You just come in, yeah, I have a burger. Yeah, I have a pizza. You know, we kind of have a familiarity with it. So the fact that we're able to not only just sell our food, but give people that story also adds to that, that kind of homely feel because we're interacting with our customers, you know, it's interpersonal or personal rather. Well, and what does it take for you to get new customers into your restaurant? now in 2021 what's working for you what's not working is it all social media or word of mouth that is such a hard question to to unpick um and i don't classify my restaurant as normal um typically when you open a business you've got a chunk of money to plow into the the marketing and i didn't have that and what i did was very old fashioned i got about 100,000 flyers printed and i went within a three-mile radius of my restaurant, and I put those flies through every single door. And, you know, I used to get up at six in the morning, I would do it for three hours, and then I'd go to the wholesalers, and I'd come back to the restaurant and cook, and I did that for about three months flat out. And I think that's that worked for us, because, again, it's it's me doing it. It's, it's part of the story. I, I put that flyer through your door, and it had my story on it, and then everyone said my re- my flyers were different because they had it had, uh, it actually had my story and a picture of me and how I used to cook from home. So it wasn't just, you know, buy a pizza flight. It was telling you about this restaurant and, and what we do. Um, I think that worked up until a point. But then what happened is uh, we had a lockdown over here and then a lockdown ended and everybody just wanted to go out and everybody wanted to go to bars and clubs. So then what we had to do is we were a BYOB restaurant to so bring your own bottle. We never sold alcohol. And so to keep up with the trends, I had to then sell alcohol. So again, this is why I said to you, you've got to be prepared to change because this was never part of the plan. I had to come up with the cocktail menu, something that was, you know, had my signature style on it. But we, we evolved. I didn't want to. I was upset and, and, I, and I struggled with it, but I did. Um, and again, we've had a bit of a up and down momentum with that. So now we're focusing on our social. I'm focusing, not we, I, it's just me, uh, focusing on my social media. So it, it's it's a lot of different things. Some things have worked, some things haven't. Sometimes they work again, some things, sometimes they don't. But I think this is why I spoke about the challenges earlier, is the fact that you're going to be kept on your toes. And there are times when I want to scream because I feel like it worked last week. Why is it not working now? But 
you have to understand that there's a rhythm to this industry. Payday pays part of that rhythm. Sometimes you have sporting events that plays part of the rhythm. We're also in an unprecedented time. So, you know, everything that we thought would work doesn't work. So, you know, it, it's kind of a stab in the dark. But I think you've got to have a lot of energy for it and you can't really stop. I've been really lucky. And a lot of people that come here don't just come because it's a restaurant. They come because I'm the face of it. It's my restaurant. And they feel like they know me. I cannot tell you the endless conversations I've had with customers, even yourself. You know, you're not just gravitating here and spending your hard-earned money because it's a bit of food. You know you're coming here because you're supporting me, you're paying wages and, and supporting employees that I have. And I think having that personal element has also been successful for us. But, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I can't give you the definitive answer. It's, it's a mixture of trial and error. Um, something I'm still working on now. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it. But be prepared to work hard. You know, when I was putting those flies through the door, we had snowfall, you know, two inches of snow and my hands were freezing, but I still did it, you know. And, and if you want to do it, because no one else is going to want to do the dirty work, you have to make it happen. And that's why I'm still here today. Because there was a time when I didn't have enough money to, well, there's been a few times where I didn't have enough money to pay my staff. But somehow, you know, whether it's that £10 order, I don't know whether it was because I put that fly through the door or put up an Instagram post. So whatever it is, you know, obviously it's working, but you, you've got to keep on doing it and, and not give up. After spending time in foster care homes in your teens, you started your first job when you were around 17 and you worked at a small cafe. From there, you learned how to cook, worked at other restaurants, saved money, rented a flat, you created a life of purpose. Now you want to give other young people in foster care homes that same opportunity at your restaurant. Tell us about what you're offering these teens at Sugarcane and why this all means so much to you. Yeah. Um, again, that's another wide berth you know, topic. So I got my first job in a cafe, as you said, when I was 17. And... Um, I, I love cafes because you, you have so, so much of a mixture of roles. You know, sometimes you're on the floor, sometimes you're in the kitchen, you know, sometimes you're the porter. It, it, you, you learn to do everything. And I think most importantly, what happened for me is that I learned to work by myself. And this is one of my major strengths in the sense of if my floor staff are sick, I can go on the floor. If my kitchen staff are sick, I can go in the kitchen. Being autonomous in every part of that business is what helped me do this now. Whereas if you start off in a restaurant, you can be pigeonholed into just learning one skill. And I think it, it's, it's, it's an asset, you know. And in regards to this place, I try to give my staff the same kind of flexibility where sometimes they're on the bar, sometimes on the floor. They learn a little bit of everything. So when they want to move on, they can move into any part of hospitality. And the one thing I've always said is with hospitality, no matter where you are in life, whether you're... Uh, pre-graduate, post-graduate, whether you've got a house or whatever, you could always pick up a job in hospitality. And I think if you've got that skill set, it's something that is a bow, you know, on your string for the rest of your life. And for me, when I was 17 and I, you know, was moving out into the big wide world, into my own flat, that job enabled me to save. That job, I earned a couple of you know, over some a couple of grand over a few months, but it enabled me to buy a TV, enabled me to do my driving tests, it enabled me to save up and go to college. Um, and that was because of that one job. And and 
for me, not only did it give me skills to keep getting jobs, it also gave me the finances to kind of build the first, you know, foundations of my life. So when I have staff that come here, I try to explain to them the value of it, it will only be for a couple of months or it might be a bit longer for a year or so, but utilize what you're doing now to give you something for the future. Whether it may be, you know, you're saving for a qualification or, you know, it's putting food in your, in your, on your table or whatever it may be, you know, use this time proactively. Um, I have a specific emphasis on employing those who have come from the care system, so who do not have the support network elsewhere, in the sense of making sure that they have a wage, so they're entitled to some level of freedom. You know, they're not just relying on the government and not battling against the system, because that's something that I spent a good chunk of my life doing. Um, I also give all my staff a qualification of some sort, so whether it's level two or level three, I pay for it, and then they get either one to work in the kitchen or one to work on the floor. Um, that's foods, what's it, level two food and hygiene or level three, which is management, and also just general hospitality ones. There's a few um, bar supervision courses as well. And, and the whole point is, is, again, you may not be with me for long, but I want you to have something that you can fall back on. And, you know, hopefully... I, not everyone will have the independence that I have. You know, I, I am a quite weird person or unique one, but I want them to feel like whatever they decide to do, they may not have to open their restaurant, but they can take something from here, which is just beyond salary. And the salary is good enough at the end of the day. You know, I'm happy that I've played that part, but I'd like them to know that they've always got a safety net. You know, that was something for me, which was a big deal when I was growing up is, if I can't pay my bills, what else could I do? Or, you know, can I always pick up extra work? Or, you know, just always having that safety net. And I think, you know, hospitality can play a big part in that. I'm not saying it's a career for everybody. You know, it does have its time within, you know, its, its time span within most people. We do it while we're supporting our, you know, studies or we do it as a backup job. But again, it's something that is accessible to so many. And I think that that's why, that's why I put so much emphasis on it for those that come through here. And, and, you know, we, we've, how many qualifications have I given? Probably like 20. We've trained about 10 different chefs, 22 floor staff in total. And that's only within a year. So, and it's, it's not all been positive. We've had some that haven't last, lasted with us, but we've had some that have. But, you know, regardless of whatever the outcome, we've always tried to make the impact as positive as possible. And even in the sense of not all of those that come last, it's the fact that we're doing it so you know, we, we're starting to build up a reputation and we do get, you know, quite a few teams come here and say, is there any vacancies? So again, we're, we're building up that traction to let people know that actually this is a spot where if you need that extra shift or something, then, you know, you can pick that up. So I guess it's about building a reputation in the community. And I think particularly with where our government has gone, there's not a lot of help for those, you know, in, the, in their teens. So 18 to 24 year olds, you know, there isn't a lot of opportunities out there there aren't any youth clubs there isn't that social movement that that we used to have when I was growing up and I think it's about people who not let's say like myself but people who are taking on you know that buck by themselves you know if the government's not going to do it if, if, if parents or our community is not going to do it well then someone has to make that stance somewhere so you know it might not be a lot but I'd like to think I'm doing something and, and you know what as well on my dark days that's the reason why I get up. 
like if I'm being honest, I, I don't want to do this right now. I, you know, I, I'm, I've said it before, I'm going through a bit of a low ebb. And, and closing has been something that's weighed so much on my mind. And then I've got two chefs in here, uh, Karim and Josh. And every time I think about closing, I think, what am I going to do with those two? And, and that's another reason that keeps me going, you know. So it, it's a mixture of a bit of both. I'm helping them just as much as they're helping me. Because as much as I'm tired, I've got a responsibility to not let them down. I've got a responsibility to pay them. I've got a responsibility to make sure that I'm a responsible employer, you know. So it, it, it's a full circle in many different ways, you know. But, yeah, positive, I think, and I hope. You're making a positive contribution to the world, and I know you're downplaying it an awful lot, but you are. Most restaurateurs do not, and they don't have they don't have that uh, thought process. Oh, thinking about others, thinking about something other than the bottom line. So, thank you for what you're doing because you are you are doing a lot of positivity. Well, and and I'm not the only one that thinks that you're making a positive impact on the world. In fact, recently, Chef Jackson Boxer wrote a really heartfelt post on Instagram about you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read part of it. About 18 months ago, I noticed a new spot opened round the corner from me with a distinctly DIY edge and a bustling energy to it. I watched them quickly find their feet, grow, and became more interested in the enterprising figure behind it, Chef T. We got talking and found ourselves frequently late at night online ruminating over the problems and challenges of running kitchens, looking after our people, navigating the pandemic, predicting what was to come. I love his food. I love his energy. I love his commitment to his team, many of whom he trains up from zero previous employment. That's just some of it. That's just part of it. And that was a really amazing endorsement. And I just want to know, how did you feel the first time that you read his post? What was going through your mind? Oh, getting the tears out here. No, I, uh, I, I was very emotional and overwhelmed. Um, I spoke before about having a partner or a rock of some sort, someone to champion your corner. And he is someone who I would consider that for myself. He's been in the game a lot longer than me. You know, he's got a mission star. But the fact that someone of his status has taken an interest in my little, you know, my little restaurant in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I've got his attention. And, and you know, it meant a lot to me because also, you know, our social media presence is, is, is now part and parcel of running the business. You know, it, it's an extension of what we do. And, you know, if you look on his page, you will see, the most elegant bowls and foams and crumbs. And then all of a sudden my restaurant just pops up and just completely throws a spanner in the works. And you just see my handmade signs and I'm like, Oh, he's completely railroaded his presence just for myself. You know, I was very touched by that. It meant a lot, but also in the sense of people will talk a lot in this industry. And then there are a few who do, and he's always been, how can I help? You know, we have staffing shortages. How can I get, some attention for you to get some chefs or how can I drive customers down? And that was one of his ways of doing it. So it meant a lot for me because as I said, I'm consistently or, or pretty much I'm doing this by myself, but here is someone who's taken time out and it was a pretty eloquent post, you know, trying to help me. And it meant a lot because when you can get help that's genuine, be, you know, be gracious enough and 
humble enough to take it. And I think also it just, I think when you're so much in it, you cannot see it. And even now, whilst I'm doing this interview, I'm like, this is really starting to hit home the gravity of what I've done because I'm here seven days a week, 24-7 practically. And even when I try to switch off, I'm still at home doing our bookkeeping or sending emails. I've still got a massive to-do list here of things that I need to do. So it's actually, I've never really had the time to see what you see or what you experience. And I think it's interesting because he's mentioned it a few times. You've said the word an energy. There's something that seems to come out of this business and it's not something that I'm aware of, partly because, again, I'm in it, but also I'm the owner. So it seems to be this running theme of, it sounds really woohoo, as you said, but positivity, energy, there's a vibe. It's this word that keeps coming up all the time and I don't know what it is, but I think going back to what I said about me building this place, it comes from the fact that it's so intrinsically entwined with myself. You know, I'm so much a part of it not just as the owner, but as someone who's made it and who's, who is pushing it and who is doing it, that I think that's what people gravitate towards, you know? It, it, it was an amazing post, it still is. But I think I didn't need that post from him. What he offers me, which I think is so important, is some breathing space. He's someone who, and I do pick up the phone to him very late at night, you know, we're talking at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm guaranteed to get a response. And if I don't, it will be the next day. And he's someone who I can debrief to. He's someone who helped me with my alcohol menu. So, you know, he doesn't do it for me. I have to very much come up with the ideas. I say, I'm pissed off about this. I'm angry about this. This is what I'm thinking. He will give me his two pence worth. And then I have to sit there and make of it what I will. But it's so important to have somebody else's eyes there. And without him, I'm sure I still would have been here, but it would have been a damn sight harder, you know, take somebody's advice who's a lot more seasoned in the game and, and has that experience because this is perhaps one of the hardest industries to be in. You know, it's, it's, it's very demanding. It's very 24 seven. And remember what I said about managing expectations. He's someone who helps me do that from time to time. And you wrote an equally heartfelt post on Instagram about chef boxer, but the reason I'm about to read part of it, is because this post was extremely open and honest during a difficult time for you. In fact, it's the reason that I originally reached out to you. You said in part, I plan to close my restaurant at the end of this month, and I frequently visit this idea. The longer we go on, because it is just such a hard gig, I wonder more and more, what troubles will I face? And less and less, who will I serve? Unbeknownst to you, I reflect on my performance daily. And despite what I feel, the truth is, there isn't much we really get wrong. We can't please everyone, and I am now okay with that. But the reality is, I just feel like I'm doing this alone. So first, Chef T, I want to thank you for being so honest publicly most people don't do that, yet millions of people feel exactly like you do every single day. I have felt like you, which is why I reached out to you to let you know that you are not alone. What made you write this post? Did the words come to your mind immediately? Take us back to the moment that you wrote this. There isn't one specific moment where that pops to mind. So I think even if you're listening to this post, you'll probably get an element of 
the same kind of field. It's quite hard and there's elements where I've spoken about it being lonely. So it seems to be a reoccurring theme. As I said, this is a really hard industry. It is. Let's, let's just, you know, let's just call a buck a buck. It, it, it's relentless. And I think we are going through that coupled with it being the hardest time this industry's ever known worldwide. So, yeah, it was always going to be hard. And I think, as I said to you again as well, the beginning of any business, particularly restaurants, is hard. What I'm doing and what I've made an effort to do is not just, you know, try to change the narrative about what Caribbean restaurants are and, and being one of very few in London and educate people about our cuisine. It's actually just to share pe- with people this journey. Because what we see as end consumers is we turn up at somewhere and we just see, you know, the flashing lights and the fully fed food and, you know, the experience. We don't know any of the backstory behind it, which leads us to believe that everything is okay. And for me, that's very dangerous because when I took on this challenge, oh, it's going to be easy. You know, oh, I'm not going to face any of these challenges or any challenge that we're going to face. I've experienced it. No, 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 no. This is the most humbling experience that has brought me to my knees and continues to do so. And every time I think I, I master a challenge, it will come back right, you know, right round again in another format, making me relearn it again and again and again. So every time I think I'm on top of my game, I'm not. There, there is never this plateau period. And I think that was my ignorance, thinking that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get here, and it's going to be good, and that's it. You know, there's not going to be any more challenges. Or if there is a challenge, I know exactly what I'm doing. No. And that's something, my frustration within my business and this experience is the fact that no one has, I've never found anyone be open or honest about this. I've never found anyone talk about their troubles. So actually, for me, not only is my business a blank canvas in, in regards to what I'm going through, I, I don't know who to turn to. And, ev- and when I do talk about these problems, everyone, I get a plethora of comments. Oh, I go through this. You know, even you, yourself, you said that you've gone through these things, but it's just not something that we talk about as, as business owners. We do a very British thing and have a stiff upper lip and just keep going. But actually, how much wiser or better prepared would I have been to deal with this stuff if people were just more honest? And I'm not saying it's every day talk about the negatives or the issues that we face. But at the same time, it's about having that level of transparency so you don't feel like you're the only one doing this on your own, you know. And it's weird because actually running the business day to day, I think actually I'm, I'm quite competent at that. You know, the ordering is pretty systematic. The, the Even the cash flow to some degree, I've kind of learned how to deal with that. You just got to keep it positive and just, and if it's not, you just delay one, you know, supplier for another and just hope it works out. That I can kind of deal with. I think the thing that's thrown me the most is the level of uncertainty that you have. And it's no joke. It's every day, what can you expect? And I think it's about building up the resilience for that mentally because if you're not prepared for that, it will bring you to your knees. And, and unfortunately for myself, it has. It has stemmed, you know, personal problems, self-destructive ones, you know. And these are the things that I wish I was better prepared to deal with. So when I, when I post these, these, these posts, it's to make sure that if anyone whoever's cooking from home or has a food truck or just has that ambition, you know, I, I don't want them to be put off or deterred. I just want them to see, 
it's, it's not just about my customers smiling. You know, there is a lot of hard work that goes into this. There is, there is someone behind here, you know, pushing this forward every single day. And you're going to have to do that yourself. So just giving that, per, giving somebody or whoever's reading just, just a level of realism. And I want to say realism, not, not, not pessimism, because it's not about being negative, because we have some bloody ama- amazing moments. And, and, and as I said, what we've done, what I've done, I'm not saying we, I've got to say I, because it's me. What I've done, you know, own it. What I've done in, in 13 months is practically unheard of. But at the same time as well, there's a flip side to the coin. And I have no qualms about sharing that because just as much as it's equally good, it is equally as hard, you know. And this is why I started this podcast, because I needed an outlet. I needed advice. I needed uh something. And I was listening to other podcasts from, you know, these big chefs or celebrity chefs in the food world or these, uh, you know, food magazines that were putting out podcasts that these people never even worked in a restaurant. And I'm trying to listen, just clinging on. Are there just taking in whatever I could? Oh, at least sometimes I interview a restaurateur, but they weren't being real. And finally, during the pandemic, I started this last year in 2020 because I just wanted an outlet. It was part therapy for me. And I needed to connect from people were with people around this country, around the world. And then I'm realizing, oh, okay, I'm not alone, which is why I reached out to you. Like, no, we're all going through this. And I wanted this platform to have that and to be there for people. So at least when you're working late and you're doing inventory, you can listen to this podcast. I think... To, to add to that and build on it, I think that's such an important thing to share. It's like we're across the pond and we're going through, you know, similar, if not identical experiences. We're not, we didn't have a chunk of money thrown at us. You know, this is something that I've had to do from the start. And when I opened this business, I had, I had literally, my, my account was negative £3.49. And I had no, like, no idea how in two weeks time I was going to pay that first wage bill. It was a hope, a prayer, and a bank on faith. And somehow, lo and behold, week after week, all my staff, all my supplies have been paid. So I've done it. But I don't have this, you know, a massive reserve of cash. I'm not part of a huge restaurateur group. I don't have any access to any loans or credit. So everything I'm doing is off my hard-earned graph and my hard-earned back. And I'm very realistic that this could go wrong at any moment. You know, if I make the, if I make a mistake where I overspend or overstaff, I don't have that backup. And I want to share that realism because my restaurant could be here today. It could be gone tomorrow, you know, and I'm very much aware and very much not wishing, but accepting of that fact. But what I want to, what I've, I guess I've learned and I, and I haven't mastered is the fact that I spoke about my expectations of, you know, you do this, you do this and get to that plateau. I think kind of comparing this business to my life is that I've learned that happiness doesn't exist, that, that permanent state of happiness. And it's something that I've struggled with. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's a big thing for me. But the advice that I was given from someone was that happiness comes in nuggets. And you have to hold on to those nuggets to, to illuminate the darkness along the way, if that makes sense. And it's the same thing with this industry is that it's pretty crap at times. You know, it, it's going to be a slog 24-7. But when you do get those nuggets of happiness or when things do go well or, 
you know, your staff are on time or no customers are grumbling or you can pay all your bills and you've got something left in the pot at the end of the day. Those are the moments that you have to hold on to and kind of letting go of that unrealistic expectation that it's going to be perfect all the time. And I think also we are our own worst critics. You know, we do it, we see it, we see all the things that we are the problem solvers. We don't get the end product. I think that's the other thing is to detach yourself from it. It's service, so we're here to serve others. We will see the faults and we will have all the problems and very sadly we won't get what everybody else gets. And I think it's coming to, you know, to terms with that, if that makes sense. Because when I used to work in restaurants, I just had fun all the time. You know, we, we liked the adrenaline and we didn't have to deal with all the broken equipment or all the nonsense behind it. That was fun. You know, now I've got to provide that experience for others, if that makes sense, which I am doing. But it's about balancing that expectation. And as I said, just holding on to those good moments. And I think, again, that's also part and parcel of why I'm so, I share the good, but I do share the bad. So it, it's managing my expectation and helping others. But also, on a final note, for me, and I've, and I've shared this in a few of my posts, is that when I do have these, these negative moments, or these tiresome moments, I have something to look back on. And I look back at those pictures and think, bloody hell, I've done that. Or on a late night, I'll sit here and I'll be like, did I really do all of this? Did I really serve that many people? Is this really my restaurant? It still hits me now. Is this really my restaurant? You know, so it's, it's, it's not for you. It, it's actually for myself. It's a way of keeping myself going. You know, I'm sitting here now thinking I'm sitting in my restaurant, bloody hell, you know, but it, it, it's something for me. And I think it, it will be different for everybody, but you've got to find something that spurs you on, you know, because it can't just be about money all the time. Can it? <laughs> it cannot. The The older I get, the more I'm reminded by so many things. It could be random TV shows, or it could be a news article, or it could be talking to people money does not equal happiness. It just doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't. What you're doing, the journey, being in that, that is the happiness. Finding <laughs> those nuggets of happiness. I know it sounds crazy, but yeah, I agree. What you were taught was finding a nugget of happiness. Yeah. And knowing when to take that nugget out and reflecting on that. Yeah. So right now, there's a restaurant owner listening who feels alone that is possibly thinking about closing their restaurant or they don't have anyone to talk to about their stress, what do you want to say to them? You're not alone in this. You are really not alone in this. And I think it's important to not even remember why you started. Acknowledge the fact that you got this far. You got further than a lot of people. You're in a position that many would dream of and you'll find a way. It might not be the way that you planned, Please let go of it. You will find a way. Whether you have to pay, what's, what's the expression? Pinch from Peter to pay Paul, if, if that's what you need to do, or if you need to take a break or whatever it is, you will find a way. And that's pretty much it. I, th I think that's what we all need to hear is that you will find a way because we, all, we always manage, don't we, at the end of the day? You've been doing it for how many years? I've been doing it for a year. And we're still standing. We are still standing. You know, I just, I think it's about being adaptable and, and, and sometimes it might look like this or it might look like that, but be prepared to adapt and go with it. But no matter what, you will find a way. I already know the answer to this question in a way, because you already started off this interview discussing Dubai and your arrival in London. But 
Have there been any other signs or synchronicities in your life that led to new opportunities for you in this industry besides your arrival to London? I can give you a answer and you're going to have to take sense from nonsense. Um, I've always been a, a creative person. And, you know, food is not my only strength. I can knit, I can sew, I did London Fashion Week a couple of times, I do gardening, yeah, anything with my hands, that's my creativity. And when I'm taken into a world of creativity, I forget my troubles. So for me, this is a, a way for me to release my worries. And actually, I've spoken about my, my troubles or dark times here. Sometimes when I come into this kitchen and cook, and I'm not cooking for my recipes, I'm just being creative. I forget about all of my worries, if that makes sense. And it's a, it's a healthy form of meditation. And sometimes when I get bored of the kitchen, I'll do a me new menu design or a new Instagram. Anything that allows me to be creative with my hands is, is my outlet. And there have been a few contacts about catering and stuff, but I think I'm... I'm gearing myself up to be as free-flowing as possible. I'm struggling with it, but I'm, I'm gearing myself up for it, and I'm being self-aware of that, which I think is another key skill we should always have, you know, recognizing, yeah, I'm having a crap day, leave me alone, but, you know, recognize I'm having a good day. I want to talk to you. But I think um, with this place that I have here, which is, which is, you know, as I said, a physical manifestation of me, whatever I do decide to do, I will always come back to this. For, for however long this this is, if that makes sense, you know, I put so much of myself into this building, and and it was it's my baby in the essence. In, in essence, it's it's the first restaurant I have. It's physically been made by me. You know, it, it's a bit wonky, but every every creak, every dent has a story in it. Yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, even talking to you now, it's just reminding me that I couldn't give up. You know. And in fact, I'm going to listen to myself. I'll find a way, even if it means I don't open seven days a week. I might have to do three or four days a week. But I think no matter what, it will be five one seven ones or throw. You know, that is that is my restaurant. And and you, you can't give up on a dream like this. You know, I think the ability to get to know your customers or your community to serve as many people as you have, you know, you're, you're a part, it's more than just serving food, but you don't recognize that you're contributing to other people's lives. We have birthday parties here, wedding uh, stag do's and stuff like that. And, you know, I know everybody on the street that we live on now. And, and you know, I know all the shops next to me and, and my suppliers are dependent on me as well. You, you create such a network that you just don't realize that you're a hub at. And to abandon it would be, would be reckless in all honesty. I, I foresee it might change or I might dabble in other things. But I think for for as long as you have me, I'll be here in one way, shape or format. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> thank you. Chef T, thank you for sharing your story with us. I always like ending by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed a pro tip or general life advice that you live by? Go for it, you know? And I think that's what I want you to take from this story. Um, I've shared with you how hard it is. I've shared with you the negative space that I'm in now. But I can wake up tomorrow with no regrets, never wondering. 
And even in regards to, you know, I mentioned myself moving to Dubai, I quit my job on a Monday and applied for another job on Tuesday and I flew out to Dubai on Sunday and I just went. I can say that I've worked abroad. I, 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 I try not to live my life with any, with any regrets because we could all be gone in 2.4 seconds. We've seen it happen this year. I've seen it in personal elements of my life. I'm sure you have or whoever's listening. And how crap would it be if you had to wake up tomorrow saying, I wish I had, I wish I had. And that's something that I've never had to do with this place. Right now I'm sitting on a second restaurant. It's sitting there gathering dust and, and it's actually wiping out my money. But I have no regrets because I tried, if that makes sense. And I will never have that itch inside of me. So just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? You know, no one's ever died from not paying their bills, you know. And I, I don't consider this a success story. But it is successful in different elements. I get that. But I mean, we're still in the infancy of our journey. Do you know what I mean? But I don't, I just, I don't have any regrets, you know, we we have a few problems you might close, but whatever's come out of it will, will be, you know? So whoever's listening, if you want to do something, you know, just go for it. If you want to take that day off, go for it. If you want to open another restaurant, try and go for it. If you want to just, you know, I never had fondue and I took myself to Soho about a year ago and went to a restaurant and had fondue. I went for it, you know, no dream is too small. So just go for it. You know, you've only got one life and, you know, it's, it's important that you make the most of it, whatever it may be, big or small. That's great. Go for it. No regrets. And Chef T, where can people follow you? Uh, well, I'm my biggest social media following is on Instagram. So we are Sugarcane London, um, one word. And that's probably where you can find all bits and bobs about me. There's videos of when we started and the restaurant. And, and it's a mixture. It's not my really my personal Instagram, but you know, where, as I said, me and my business are so closely intertwined, it's where I put everything. So it's a mixture of sugarcane and the person behind it. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, follow Have You Eaten Yet wherever you get your podcast.